Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together. A pluralistic one with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. And welcome to another episode. And today we are going to discuss an important sector, water and especially in the context of the urbanization. And we are doing it with an expert on uh, water research who has been a leading university. And today it has two important charges. Is the water expert in the natural science sector of the UNESCO Regional Office for Eastern Africa. And he's also the senior research advisor for the UNESCO chair for climate change, resilience and sustainability. So I'm very welcome to introduce Dr. Christian Beretta. Thank you so much, Christian, for being here with us. Thank you so much, Samuele. I'm very excited to be part of your podcast, which is very successful. And uh, thank you for inviting me. And Christian, you are an, a leading expert. You are designing projects and working on solving the issues of water, especially in urban planning. But before that, and before the discussion also, uh, we want to know the usual question. Who is Christian? What is your journey? My journey started as an academic at the University of Genoa in Italy, where I, my background is uh, environmental and civil engineering, and I focus on uh, water, water resources management, and uh, hydrology. I started my work uh, at the university uh, looking very much into stormwater management, and uh, looking very much into the quality of uh, stormwater. At the time, it was really an issue of uh, discharging stormwater, which is polluted, into water bodies. And it was really a matter of uh, the impact of this uh, stormwater runoff from uh, urban or industrial areas into water bodies. So a lot of my work initially was uh, about uh, monitoring programs and uh, really supporting the agencies that were in charge of uh, providing permission for discharge and protecting the water resources. I had the opportunity to join uh, after my PhD, to join uh, a research group at the University of Florida as a postdoctoral uh, researcher. I moved to Florida where I spent four years very much working on uh, the solution, not, not only the quality of stormwater runoff, but also uh, how can we control pollutants, which type of solution we can uh, use. And particularly, I focus very much on nutrients because in Florida, there are very, very limited restrictive criteria for discharging lakes and rivers about on um, nutrients. The Department for Florida Department for Environmental Protection was really sponsoring the university to, to study the, the issue and understand it better. That was a very work very closely to the government and to the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, where we tested different systems and came up with a solution that have been lately applied and also doing monitoring program at the, at the state level in Florida. I moved from there after to UK, where I spent 10 years of my research career at the University of Sheffield and finally the University of Leeds, where I got my lectureship. And my work there focused very much on natural-based solutions or green infrastructure to manage stormwater from the quantity point of view, so to control flooding, but also from the quality point of view, setting up like a different experiments. And uh, I've always worked in experimental type of work, collecting data 
and uh, I found it very, very valuable, very exciting. Since then, from a family reason, I moved to the south of the world. I found myself the last two years in Nairobi, Kenya. I joined uh, Strathmore University as a research advisor for the UNESCO Chair on Climate Change Resilience and Sustainability. Was uh, given to awarded to a professor, Professor Da Silva, who is the deputy vice chancellor for research and innovation of the university, and um, who asked me to join the team to advise the research strategy for this four years program. And since then, I joined then uh, UNESCO and the natural science sector, particularly the water science team. And the UNESCO is the in Nairobi is the regional office for Eastern Africa. What a wonderful uh, career and really big achievements. Now touching, spanning from three continents, Europe, the Americas, and now Africa. And especially Africa now, we know that by 2030, we will, a population in, on our continent will raise of more than 200 million people. And it will have also a rapid urbanization. So from your research that I really pointed out the work, and especially in factor overlooked, stormwater and the water management, why is sustainable design so important in the context of water management? And have you seen the evolution in urban water management over the years? Yes, Samuel, very, very much. I mean, we know that rapid urbanization is happening. It is happening uh, also rapid population growth. And the climate change is very well known. We know that urban areas... Uh, uh, host already 50% of the global population and is projected to reach 60% by 2050. And the water demand will increase by 55% globally. These uh, challenges that we are facing are impacting very much our city and what we are observing is that we have increasing water scarcity uh, due to over-exploitation of the resources. And uh, we are observing urban flooding when uh, due also to climate change, but also due to not properly planned urbanization. And when the rainfall runoff uh, is exceed the capacity of uh, the drainage systems, and then we have the degradation of water resources. So it is estimated that 4 billion people will be living in uh, water stressed areas. And then the number of people at risk of from floods will uh, rise uh, to 1.6 billion by 2050. Of course, uh, are driving driver from uh, the sector. As you mentioned, urbanization is uh, it has consequences that possibly we, we overlook. And uh, in this sense, it is clear is that with uh, with urbanization we have we are changing the natural water cycle. So what was supposed to happen normally through the presence of vegetation. That is, uh, you know, it, it rains and then we have uh, water infiltrate in the, in the soil and recharge our groundwater. And then there is a massive amount of water that goes uh, up to the atmosphere through evapotranspiration. And only minimal water is uh, overland flow, what we call runoff. In a situation post-development, uh, this natural cycle has been disrupted and changed. And what we observe that uh, infiltration becomes very little because now instead of uh, rural areas, we have cities we have with roofs and parking uh, areas and uh, car parks. So the groundwater is not recharged. The evapotranspiration becomes very low because there is no vegetation. And what we deal with now is a massive amount of rainfall that becomes runoff. So a massive volume of water that we need to deal with. And this is what is causing flooding, for example, in, in these areas. To deal with this water, 
the traditional approach, like let's say before the 80s, was really to convey this water as soon as possible uh, away from the city. And this was by building pipes, you know, underground pipes. Um, normally these were combined sewer system that were collecting rainfall and uh, wastewater. And then, uh, you know, treating this water. And uh, now, uh, in time, this system became really not sustainable. And uh, the problem is that it's too much water coming in, into these uh, systems. And so what is happening is a phenomenon that is called combined sewer overflows. So when the, the water flow in, in, the, in our drainage system exceeds the capacity of the treatment system, all the water that exceeds this capacity is discharged untreated to water bodies. And this is really creating a massive uh, issue of pollution. While this has been understood in time, and it's still a major issue now, but has been understood, we went for a traditional approach to a conservative approach by building a lot of storage tanks, what they call the stormwater tanks. And actually, 20 years ago, with my PhD, that's exactly was the focus of uh, my work, to design these uh, storage tanks, these stormwater tanks, that were capturing part of the rainfall and then releasing the release. But also this approach is becoming not sustainable due to climate change and also because yeah. it doesn't really influence the quality, it just stores uh, temporarily water. And also is, is you know, use a lot of cement, is not or concrete, sorry, and so is uh, not a sustainable solution, is disrupted to infrastructure. So we came there to the, the new phase of uh, drainage, which is the sustainable approach, which is really to manage stormwater at the source. And uh, considering surface runoff as a resource, like rainfall runoff as a resource, and not anymore like a noise and something that needs to be conveyed. Uh, but also the main driver here is the protection of water resources and uh, enhance flood resilience and to promote ecosystem services. So bringing back nature and vegetation to cities, for example, basically develop all the concept of uh, nature-based solutions, or what is called water-sensitive urban design, which is a, a concept that I really like. One of the definitions really land planning and engineering design approach, which integrates the urban water cycle, which includes stormwater, groundwater, wastewater management, and water supply into the urban design to minimize uh, environmental degradation, improve uh, aesthetic and recreational appeal. So this is a concept that uh, propose uh, solution like that mimic the natural process of infiltration, evapotranspiration. And uh, in part of the world, these are called sustainable drainage system or nature-based solutions. And really the design of these uh, systems look into aspects of water quantity, water quality, but also at uh, amenity and, uh, and biodiversity. So to create uh, and sustain better places for people and to create and sustain better places for for nature, while at the same time addressing the flooding, so the water quantity and the treatment solutions. And often, I would say often overlook a problem, but we are now sometimes, especially in this part of the world, uh, facing the Nino and, and the floodings that will happen and rapid urbanization can create problems. And sometimes it can be ironic in a way because we have water scarcity, sometimes we have massive amount of water coming, which can be used. Maybe, Christian, how we can leverage this, especially for our areas 
because if you see the amount of water that in some areas is 700, 800 millimeter, but may be concentrated in a very short period. So they wreck havoc, and then we have a desert for other months. How we can use that resource? No, thank you so much. This is, this is a really, really good question. In fact, you know, what, what we observe is really where we are, like in the Horn of Africa, we really observe is these uh, very dry periods, and now we experience the last two years uh, an unprecedented drought. And uh, when it rains, so we have really flooding uh, and disasters. And uh, some numbers, you know, some that you can see is that you know the Horn of Africa drought uh, impacted 36 million lives and livelihood, and uh, with 20 million facing emergency food. Uh, insecurity. At the same time, flooding is something that we are observing and uh, it will become possibly even uh, worse with the scenarios of uh, climate change where we expect to have more frequent extreme events. So how really can we leverage these? First of all, you know, once you have uh, for two years in a, a drought, so we, we need to take these into account in our uh, strategies. So it doesn't become anymore an emergency, it's really becoming like a, a crisis that is a, a recurrent situation. It is true that stormwater and flooding is not used at the moment, and uh, definitely, definitely we have potential to, to use this water by doing rainwater harvesting, this is very common, but also by doing what is called managed aquifer recharge. So using floods and the stormwater to recharge the groundwater. And these are engineered systems, can be also natural-based solutions that make best use of uh, flood water to recharge the, the resources. Also something somewhere that, that is not mentioned much is that groundwater is really a resource that is not exploited as we should. And uh, we know for sure that the Horn of Africa is rich in groundwater, but the issue is becoming access to this groundwater. There are not the right investment to tap in, into these resources. And uh, something that for me is very striking for uh, amount of the uh, groundwater is, uh, is used for, for example, irrigation. So in Sub-Saharan Africa, the total cultivated land uh, is under irrigation. And only 5% of that is irrigated with groundwater. So these are resources that we, we definitely need to look into. And uh, uh, to do so, we need to go back to understanding the, the resources, the ability of the resources. I feel really there's, a, there's a, a need to look into that. Actually, in, uh, the work in UNESCO is very much focused uh, my work on water security. And uh, by water security, we don't mean only the uh, sufficient water of uh, good quality, but also to mitigate the impacts of water-related hazards, such floods and droughts, and to ensure protection against the waterborne pollution. This is like a definition that uh, and, uh, was adopted by the UN Water Conference in uh, New York in the past uh, March this year. To, to tap into these resources, we really need a better understanding. And I think really we could, uh, we could change the dynamic of uh, countries if we tap into the resources properly. And some issues that really the groundwater policy is primarily focused on the uh, use of groundwater after obstruction. 
Edgar Water is often perceived as a private resource, like if he's in my land, I can use it. So the government needs to really fully assume the role as a resource custodian. You have common and public uh, uh, good uh, aspect of groundwater. At the same time, uh, good use of uh, stormwater and floods to recharge resources or for other use for livelihood, I believe we could uh, approach the issue of water stress, water scarcity and uh, flooding. It's really an important topic and we can see how we can leverage this solution really to support what is the adaptation, the resilience, especially of our area. And I want to go on that part a bit deeper. So, you know, can you share some practical solution and impact stories from your research, something that really you have seen is working on the ground and can be useful, you know, for planners, for people that they're out there. The fact that I've been working like in different contexts, you know, and so I see solutions like that are really suitable for, for certain contexts and in the south of the world, like here in uh, where we are in Kenya. So in, uh, in my work in uh, the US, we uh, solution like uh, to tackle, for example, nutrients uh, from stormwater, were tested and uh, we found something very valuable, like in uh, created like a, a media, like a filtration system, which was an aluminum oxide coated media, which could really control uh, uh, nutrients. Fantastic application, for example, in car parts, where you know the media could be like a permeable uh, uh, cement or pavement, and I can see really a great opportunity there to really play with engineered soil to trap pollutants. I worked a lot in uh, the last years uh, on the biofiltration systems, and these are type of nature-based solutions, which, are, which include vegetation and uh, soil. And uh, part of my work was really how to optimize the, the soil and the plants for the type of climate uh, to control uh, flooding and to control pollutants. And uh, we use, for example, engineered soil, like we've been mixing with mixed with the soil, like carbonative activity carbon or zeolite, and having very, very excellent uh, results. Of course, this is an application in a part of the world. Other type of solution could be really looking at how to maintain, for example, the drainage systems. So certain cities, for example, I work in Accra in uh, Ghana, they have adopted uh, community-based uh, maintenance of urban drainage systems. Why this is important? Because when we do have a drainage systems, then uh, south of the world many times is used as a collection for solid waste. So there's an issue of solid waste management. And this solid waste that uh, goes into the drainage system, which normally are open channel, really reduce the capacity and can create really major issues in flooding. So a part of the work there was really to inform the community of when these uh, maintenance, which was really collection and cleanup of the drainage, really maintenance of drainage, could have been more efficient, could have been done, which I thought it was uh, very useful. But also the work that we are doing now with uh, UNESCO on water security involved very much the, the community and is using a call, what is called community-centered approaches or people center approaches. And one of the um, approach that we propose in, uh, with UNESCO is the use of, uh, of uh, CRIDA, which is uh, climate risk informed decision analysis methods, which uh, represent a bottom-up approach to identify water security risks 
and uh, it is sensitive to water vulnerabilities of indigenous population and is guided by a gender perspective. And I really like this method because uh, with the knowledge that we have now, we can produce possibly scenarios of, uh, for example, taking into account climate change and different uh, climate adaptation solutions. But then once these scenarios and these, op these uh, options are there, we use a bottom-up approach involving the community in the decision process of which of these solutions could work better for the community and really work identify the best one. And I see how these, uh, these methods should be applied in any projects regarding uh, climate adaptation uh, solution. And in my case, really, very, very much in how to manage water resources sustainably. I can see the, the example from the, let us say, the Florida side, even from the African aspect. So we are really have solution that they can suit different environments and really support and tap on these resources, otherwise going to waste. And which with the water scarcity and the problem that we are facing should now become a resource or now also to face the adaptation needed not for the, for the climate change. And to do that, I think that people maybe in the audience, especially planners and people that, especially in this side of the world, which is rapidly urbanizing, we can see construction and building every single day mushrooming in all our estates and area. So how we can integrate sustainability in design, construction and maintenance, really, in our work? First of all, uh, I think we should really step back one minute before thinking about implementation. And uh, in order to avoid past mistakes, we really need to look into knowledge base creation. So we need to understand uh, what is the issue in its complexity and uh, possibly addressing it through a multi-sectoral and multidisciplinary approach. We need to really go away from the business as usual type of approach. And that is uh, something we observe like in different projects. Like uh, we use, for example, uh, drainage systems that are piped, uh, like with pipes underground, because uh, that has been done in the past. That is the business as usual. We know how they perform. We know how to design. But we also understood that in time, this is not working. And we understood that, you know, it is possible to design in a more sustainable method. We, we do have now the, the knowledge and we have enough knowledge to start to, to implement natural-based solutions. Now, in the world, there are certain countries, like for example, in the US, uh, in Portland, Oregon, or in Melbourne, in, uh, in Australia, they decided to start to implement these uh, systems and at the same time study them. But other countries have more conservative approach by, and look really at, uh, we don't know enough, we need to know more. I mean, we have been teaching these uh, systems for the last five years, at least in my experience, or even more, uh, even 10 years, uh, the university really with the intention of changing the mentality and uh, considering always a more sustainable solution rather than a traditional one or you know, a combination of the two, but always having in mind that there are possible solutions that can look into different multiple benefits. But also to, when I say, you know, multi-sectoral discipline approach, we really need to apply this. We know for sure in situations like that we are seeing, for example, with informal settlement, is never a problem only of drainage, it's a problem of drainage and solid waste management and sanitation. And until you know, we tackle and address these uh, 
issue, not in a silos, but together, I don't think we can overcome like the issue that we are facing. For example, informal settlements that are always subject to flooding and the cholera outbreak and due also to poor sanitation. It is something that needs to be addressed like as a, a 360 degrees. And, uh, you know, I do think we have the knowledge and uh, there would be the need of uh, collaboration and the use of uh, different expertise. I really like also the way you holistically put together the dimensions. And one thing you touched, Trilene, made me think how we can also foster, and especially with your role in the academia, the new generation of planners, the new leaders. And you are teaching in one of the leading universities, in one of your role at, in Nairobi. So where the leaders, from not only from Kenya, but all Africa, they are coming out even from the region. So how we can foster research in emerging economy, how we can input more towards fostering sustainable solutions, not just the traditional business as usual pipe, as you mentioned. And how this, your role at the UNESCO, especially the UNESCO chair for climate change, resilience, sustainability, can contribute to this? There are several ways into, to do that. But having my academic possibly health at the moment, I think really it starts to having the capacity, the skills and the, the right education. So looking at the curriculum and the uh, uh, changing both to, for example, this is something we're discussing with uh, Strathmore uh, University, to changing uh, the, um, and developing postgraduate studies with a sustainability development focus. And uh, sustainable development focus and this, I think, is, uh, is very important. I'm very glad that, uh, you know, the University of Leeds was uh, teaching a course that was called Sustainable Engineering Solutions. I really liked that uh, the course that I was uh, leading, where I involved uh, in the spirit of the course involved different instructors with different uh, expertise. Because, of course, when you talk about sustainability, there are different aspects, and we have, you know, the aspect of solid waste, of air pollution, of uh, water, of transport, of urbanization, uh, and uh, how to apply all these developing country context. So I think we need to start really from uh, developing the right curriculum and the skills and capacity building. That is uh, the beginning of uh, changing the mentality. But also we need to work together with government in uh, supporting the idea that every decision needs to be science-driven and data-driven. So in any investment uh, or strategy related to water resources management, for example, we need to have a, a strong understanding of the water resources. Otherwise, we cannot implement. That is really something that uh, it needs to be promoted, like a, a science-driven approach. Something that also to UNESCO we are trying to promote at the moment is a, a catchment type of approach. We know, for example, in Kenya, like through the evolution now, the, the power is at the county level, but we know also that uh, uh, water resources don't have boundaries. So we need to look into the water resources at the catchment level that, of course, include more counties and sometimes include also a transboundary type of uh, resource in different countries. For example, in this moment, we are looking at uh, Lake Turkana water basin, and 90% of the Lake Turkana in the north part of Kenya, 90% of the water is coming from the Omo River in Ethiopia. So we are really dependent uh, when we talk about resources in one to each other. And I think uh, in that sense, we, there will be more need of, uh, 
of collaboration in managing uh, this resource, but also going to another level in sharing information and data. And uh, we have the tendency in this part of the world to, and I've been here now for some time, to hear that, you know, this NGO or this donor worked on this uh, area of the country, so the data have been collected. There is no need to look into that anymore. But, you know, I think it is important at this point to really gather all these uh, data and previous uh, leverage on previous existing work, but also looking at the quality of this data to see if they, they serve the purpose for what we want to do for any adaptation strategy or intervention in water resources that we want to do. And uh, at UNESCO, since for the last uh, months of my work, uh, we've been trying to create a database that is open access and uh, looking also at uh, the quality of the data to, uh, but also uh, with the intention to uh, support more collaboration among donors and with the government and uh, different NGOs and consultant firms that have been working in the country to really create a collaborative environment where the information and the data are key to identify the gaps and develop any further monitoring or any further data collection, etc. In that sense, I, um, we're really promoting uh, uh, these. Even the work done at the University of Leeds, I did um, work through a PhD project on flooding risk in Nairobi, and that was using uh, global data sets that have been uh, corrected. And at UNESCO, also, we are promoting the use of remote sensing in, uh, for example, water quality. Uh, in uh, the last project that we are looking at, at we are prom proposing to use this UNESCO World Water Quality Portal, which uses Earth observation, so satellite observation, to look at uh, the level of lake or the extension, but also at very important water quality parameters. And that could really help in setting up monitoring program with a different type of investment, but also at really closing the issue of uh, data scarcity. And another point, I think, to foster research and uh, is looking really at funding. So more funding should go in, into research and uh, the creation of the knowledge base. In this sense, uh, more joint program and more coordination with donors. UNESCO is part of the Water and Sanitation Development Partner Group, and uh, this is really a coordination uh, body among the development partners in, uh, in the sector. But also by working with Strathmore University, which is very focused on energy, and uh, we'd like to possibly talk about the possibility of, of leveraging multi-sector funding. So for example, energy and water. And that is something we are looking at in a project with Strathmore University on uh, green hydrogen production. You are launching already and capturing the idea because from your description and your CV, and I really want to thank this wonderful lesson that you are giving us because it's really it opening up my mind and especially also the listeners on how this over overlooked water sector can be so crucial, especially for our life and for sustainability. And also you mentioned that you are also uh, working in two wonderful projects that are really at the conjunction no, of uh, water, energy, and also looking at the uh, renewable energy and transition towards green energy. So. We are, talking, we are talking about hydrogen and we are talking about the, uh, so in the Just Green Africa project and the One Planet project. So can you explain a bit these two work and you, that you are leading? 
Uh, absolutely, Samuel. Uh, yes, this project are with Strathmore University and uh, with a, a partner on two European uh, Union-funded uh, project. And uh, yeah, the one is the project on green hydrogen. Uh, we know that Africa has a unique potential to exploit low-cost uh, renewable energy to produce green hydrogen for domestic and external markets. And uh, green hydrogen uh, can become, in fact, the booster of uh, sustainable development of the continent. This project really uh, has the goal to promote European and African green hydrogen stakeholders' interaction uh, in order to unlock a just green hydrogen transition for both continents. And this is a transition that could be uh, sustainable from a social, economic and environmental point of view. In this uh, framework, uh, 11 partners from Africa and Europe joined their forces, experiences, modeling tools and network to really support green hydrogen promotion in Africa and uh, Europe in a mutual benefits way, supporting local capacity building and understanding uh, which could be the area of major interest where to act first to exploit Africa green uh, hydrogen uh, potential. Now, this uh, is a project led by the University of Genova and uh, is funded uh, with the framework of the Clean Hydrogen uh, Partnership. Um, what possibly is less obvious is like, what is my role uh, besides, you know, co coordination of the part of Stratmore is uh, the fact that uh, to produce green hydrogen, you need water. While uh, you will need the nine liters of uh, pure water to produce one kilogram of hydrogen, Actually, the, the water need is much more because it needs to be purified and there are other water requirements for uh, uh, the whole process. So what we are trying to do in this project, also from what I'm trying to do and I'm leading in this uh, project, is, is looking at the groundwater uh, resources or green hydrogen production. In a place where, you know, water is scarce, of course, these uh, bring a lot of questions and uh, uh, a lot of issues. So we are exploring really the possibility of uh, uh, using uh, of groundwater and, uh, and the potential investment from the energy and uh, water sector together to want up groundwater resources or support the population and communities, of course. So this very exciting project is uh, started in February. It lasts for, uh, it lasts for two years. And, uh, General Assembly and for the project will be in Nairobi at Strathmore University in February 24. And uh, this will be a very, very exciting time in which we can really bring all the stakeholders uh, together. The other project you mentioned is the One Planet, which is, uh, is the open source Nexus modeling tools for planning sustainable energy, energy transition. And uh, which is open planet, uh, they look really a project across Africa. The project started in November. It aimed at empowering Africa policymakers, research and academia, investors and citizens with the necessary tool and uh, know-how to increase clean energy generation and sustainable use of resources while at the same time reducing inequalities and cultural socioeconomic gaps. This One Planet project will undertake a participatory approach in three African case studies. And these case studies are really River Basin, one is the Songwe in Malawi, Tanzania, the Informati Usutu area in South Africa, and the Niger in uh, Nigeria. And uh, the idea is really to co-design and test a toolkit uh, built upon existing WEF Nexus model, uh, so water 
uh, energy food nexus model and the methodologies. But we don't know to simulate different scenarios and optimizing existing resources with the most appropriate policy, uh, considering social, climate, economic and uh, biophysical constraint. This project is led by RENA Consulting and uh, brings together 11 uh, uh, multidisciplinary partners from nine different uh, countries in uh, Europe and Africa. And uh, we manage uh, again to have the General Assembly here in uh, Trotham University in, uh, that will happen in November, actually next month. So very excited about this, uh, this opportunity. This project started in November 22 and is a bit longer, it's like three years project. And Christian, this is something that can really show how an often overlooked resource, the groundwater and how to put, you know, uh, leverage stormwater and flooding to recharge it can help us unlock the transition uh, towards the green energy and the world. So it's really the interconnection and how we can really tap on the multidisciplinary approach to solve the solution. This is actually about what we are doing in this project, trying to bring different experts which can bring solution and real solution to the problem that we are having. And I know it has been a very dense episode. I've learned so much. And especially in areas where, where I was not an expert, and now I can say I know the 101, at least to understand, and some tips. And tips about, to our audience, that we want to ask, what message do you want to leave to our audience? That especially working in this field, you know, water, sustainability, energy, the transition. What is your message for us? I do think that, you know, water resources management and water security in this moment is really in a very exciting sector to work. And uh, it has been perceived even more and more as an emergency, an emerging focus uh, due to climate change, but also flood disaster, uh, water scarcity, uh, the link with food security. In the, the next uh, COP28, uh, we'll, uh, we'll focus also on water. And uh, we're coming from a year where there was uh, an unprecedented uh, UN water conference in uh, New York. It's a very exciting moment to work in, uh, in water and seeing what are the potential in the future for uh, addressing uh, really water security. I think the main message is really to understand uh, what is the, the issue and uh, really going back to a uh, data-driven uh, strategy. And, uh, and knowledge. So boosting res uh, research and involving academia and government and private sector and the community in really addressing uh, this issue. What I'm observing and what I see is that sometimes it's not a matter of not having water, it's a matter of not having access to water. And that is the work that you know uh, we all should do but also really understanding the consequences and how always thinking a sustainable matter. I'm thinking also going to, to the level of uh, um, elementary school and middle school, like uh, I'm not sure you know, how many people understand the implication of, uh, of pollution and uh, of pollution of groundwater, for example. There's a lot of uh, uh, information that needs to be passed from a very early age. And then I think uh, up to the university and up to developing skills at the government level to better address. So, and also, you know, I really want to connect to what is the title of your, of this podcast, the sustainability journey. I, I really do think that uh, 
who the, of the importance of learning from the journey. And uh, I work in, uh, in different aspects and uh, in many projects, in many proposals, and a lot of consortium have been uh, uh, developed, uh, brainstorming and uh, bringing, you know, a lot of expertise. A lot of very good expertise is here in Africa, and uh, we need to leverage from what we learned from the past and uh, really look at the, uh, a sustainable way to forward. But understand the importance of the, the lesson learned. And this is why I, I go back to the data and the need of uh, leveraging of what has been done before. This data needs to be accessible and uh, a collaboration among countries and uh, organization should be really promoted in order to manage the resources in a sustainable manner. It's the only way. It's actually the only way. We cannot repeating what has been done. Fantastic. No, Christian, thank you. It has been an honor and a pleasure listening to you. I really like your message because without data and going in depth, sometimes we have linear and very shallow understanding and discussions, but we really need to have a very in-depth uh, conversation on how to manage the pressure resources and how it is possible as well to to create uh, the future for our planet and for our species in the next maybe 50 to 100 years. We need solution and we need people brought by data and working to really go away from the old way of doing, learning from the mistakes and then deliver solutions that are really sustainable. So thank you so much, Christian, for your wonderful, wonderful, wonderful episode. Thank you. Thank you so much, Samuel. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.